This is Not Quite Dead, a gal pal horror movie discussion podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies, but sometimes we really just like to keep it shallow. I'm your host, Kate. I'm Megan. Get ready for all the spoilers. So I was reading that Anne Rice genuinely hated the casting for this movie as it was happening. Who would she have wanted? Did she have any better suggestions? So she had some very specific suggestions of other actors she wanted to see in the roles. And it really just boils down to the fact that she did not think that Tom Cruise was going to make a good Lestat. She could not imagine Brad Pitt as Louis. At one point, she lobbied the director to have Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise switch roles. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) That would have been interesting. I keep thinking of Brad Pitt as like this sweetheart vampire, right? And Mm -hmm. Tom Cruise is just kind of a dick, which she kind of is in real life. So to (laughs) me, it fits. (laughs) I haven't read this Anne Rice book, but um, I do know that the vampire Lestat is supposed to be like, I think, much older. And so I think for them both to kind of be young guys doesn't really play but she ended up liking Tom Cruise's. It's funny because they, okay. they only mention her liking Tom Cruise's performance. But she ended up liking Tom Cruise's performance so much that she called him after the movie came out to apologize. Aww. <laughs> yeah. One for Tom Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, did she care about Kirsten Dunst? They didn't say, although I did see in the okay. casting notes that they had done a casting call for child actors, and she was the first girl who auditioned. Oh, wow. Yeah. Isn't that wild? <laughs> Saves a lot of time. <laughs> I know. They're probably like, oh, if only it was always this easy. <laughs> I know. Did she have any opinions on Antonio? Well, they don't me- – I don't think that they mentioned it, but in the book, um, the Armand character – is described as a kind of like a teenage boy, like an adolescent, oh. red, red-headed, angel-faced young boy. And they cast Antonio Banderas for some reason. <laughs> is the opposite of that. He looks identical to Peter Steele. And I'm really glad I get to drop that name because he's the lead singer of my favorite band. I mean, he was because he's dead. But that's who I think of every time I see Antonio Banderas, not an angel-faced, red-headed <laughs> ginger kid. <laughs> yes. I How really f- feel like with the casting of this movie, they were just like, 90s superstar, 90s superstar, 90s superstar. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And Christian Slater's in there. Yes. A lot of, uh, lot of big names. So we are talking Interview with a Vampire, if you haven't guessed yet. Yeah, from all these name drops. <laughs> Uh, this one was directed by Neil Jordan. Have you seen any of his other movies? You know, that name does not ring a bell. So I don't know. What else has he done that you've seen? I haven't seen any of his other stuff either, but he did Byzantium, which is another vampire movie. Uh, the Company of Wolves, which is a gothic horror movie. So he's he's done things outside of the genre. He did Greta, which was a recent thriller uh, movie, but he's done a, he's done a number of these kind of gothic horror movies as well. 
Okay. That, I mean, that explains it. I don't really do vampires. I, I, I hate to uh, I hate to break it to the audience. Yeah, I'm not a vampire person. So I was really excited about this season because it's really a lot of new movies for me that I had never seen before. So no, I have not heard of this guy. <laughs> I do have to admit that I am a vampire person. And especially when I was in high school, it was the absolute fever pitch of Twilight when I was in high school and True Blood was also (laughs) out. You know, all of this kind of vampire media was really hitting the mainstream and I was all about it. (laughs) I read vampire books. I read all the things. And so I was really excited for this season. Well, you were in high school. I was at camp teaching little kids. And and I remember uh, everybody reading this stupid book, the Twilight books, and uh, the counselors, the kids, it didn't matter. And I was just like, oh, my God. And then, it, you know, they gave us that lovely uh, sequel, Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> Our listeners will, will probably be so disappointed to hear that we're not covering Twilight, but as we are... We are not. Ostensibly a horror podcast. (laughs) And not just the horrors of bad um, writing. (laughs) We won't be covering that series. (laughs) Yeah, that's a different podcast. Not this one. Should we do a quick summary? Sure. So via an interview format, the vampire Louis tells the story of how he was turned into a vampire by the vampire Lestat 200 years prior Uh, in New Orleans, Louisiana. And this movie covers really primarily his relationship with the vampire Lestat and how they eventually turn uh, a young girl, Claudia, and bring her into their little vampire coven. And the interpersonal drama between the three of them uh, ultimately culminating with Claudia killing Lestat and Louis and Claudia absconding to the Mediterranean, North Africa, and Europe to try and find other vampires to learn more about their own history. Uh, And uh, come to deeply regret that because the vampires that they find in Paris are uh, significantly worse than Lestat ever was, uh, in my humble opinion. And uh, this is all being relayed uh, in modern-day San Francisco to uh, Christian Slater. (laughs) Daniel Malloy is the interviewer's name. One of the things I find funny about this plot is that it posits that there's three vampires in America. I guess, you know, in New World America. And they're all alone. Yes. I think that that's so interesting. And I love how the beginning of the movie versus the last half or last third of the movie when they're in Europe just shows how lonely these three vampires are in Louisiana and how they feel like they have to keep themselves hidden in a way they're they're trying to kind of stand under the radar um you know Lestat and Louis are always on Claudia's case because she just likes murdering people <laughs> I I do love that sequence in the movie where she's running around being a child and she gets hungry. So she eats people or she wants something. So she kills people to get what she wants. And they're just like, Claudia, you're not behaving. They're just like talking to her. Like she's, I don't know, spilled something on the floor. 
And she's running around murdering. It's super funny. Yes. Like she doesn't she doesn't get it. She's a kid. And these guys are like, no, it's just us. And if we want to keep this lifestyle, we got to keep it under wraps. And then when they go to Europe, these are like the most <laughs> that is all out the window. flamboyant <laughs> vampires. They're like, not only are we living in the open, we're going to put on a little nightly show for all the humans. Yes. <laughs> That was horrifying. I felt so bad for that girl. How awful would that be to be crying out for help and everybody is just watching like as if you're not there or or clapping or laughing or anything, right? Like she's just being murdered in front of all these people and they have they have no shame. They don't care. No, it's it's the very like European versus New World kind of morality and aesthetic that they kind of play off of at the beginning and the end of the movie. I think that this movie is interesting because I, I of course was very young when this movie came out. And so I only have kind of the current cultural conception of it. But when I think of the vampire zeitgeist of the nineties, I really think of interview with the vampire. Like it feels like that was maybe the turning point for, when vampires kind of hit mainstream or or became kind of more like sexy in a way definitely sexy i mean vampire movies have been around since the dawn of movies mm-hmm. but um but yeah i this i i do remember this coming out and it was a big deal um tom cruise was a big deal brad pitt was becoming a big deal and uh I didn't watch it. I was 10 years old. <laughs> you know, I was, I was busy watching Lion King at, the, at that time. And um, for whatever reason, just never really had an interest in vampire movies. So it was fun to watch this with you because I think it might have been the first time I had actually seen it the whole way through uh, and uninterrupted. And uh, I got to tell you, Kate, I don't think vampires are sexy. <laughs> I was trying to think about why... Do people find vampires so sexy? And I have my own speculation for why I think that we think of them as sex objects. But do you have any guesses why? I would imagine it has something to do with never dying. Like there's a power in that that I think is alluring. Mm -hmm. Um, There's like a magic to the way they never get sick. In older movies and older vamp, since we've been watching movies for this season, what I've picked up is uh, older movies don't really show the sexual nature of the blood draw as as well. I feel like these newer movies make a big deal out of suck, suckling a neck or like licking fingertips or like blood dripping down a woman's breast. And for some reason, that's all very sexy. <laughs> Yeah, there's that kind of fetish element to it that I think maybe we're more comfortable with, like in the 90s, where it's like, oh, let's lean really hard into that, which like I definitely want to talk about in in later episodes this season. 100% agree on the living forever, right? It's kind of half like deal with the devil to live forever and in some ways become more beautiful. I don't really know if I agree with that, but sure. Uh, And also I think that there's just by virtue of living forever, these vampires just inherently are smarter than your average Joe and they're more cultured and generally fabulously rich because they've had so much time to accrue yes. wealth. 
And so you have these aristocratic, wealthy, good-looking people who can offer you the same. It's, yeah, it's it's a deal with the devil. I think the first thing that makes me find them not attractive, especially in this movie, is their long fingernails. <laughs> I hate long fingernails. Every time they flash their fingernails on the screen, I'm just like, Ugh, I don't want that anywhere near me. <laughs> yes, they also have... Um, a few physical characteristics their eyes are kind of unnaturally light yeah also very weird it's it's very and something you'd think your friends would pick up on (laughs) i know (laughs) your eyes are just all of a sudden a different color very bizarre looking and their their skin is so pale that you can see their like blue veins through their skin it's they look unwell they don't they don't exactly have the like uh, glittery Edward Cullen <laughs> carved from marble aspect um, <laughs> that you would expect in this one. Yeah. They just look a little wan and pale. <laughs> yeah, they look sparkly in Twilight. They look sickly in Interview, I think. <laughs> Which I can appreciate. Like they're they're relying more on yeah. their glamour to seduce people and just their ability to charm people rather than just people like flies to honey (laughs) right yeah right yeah that scene where I think uh Tom Cruise is feasting on a couple of prostitutes and he's taken one out and the other one just thinks she fell asleep from making out I guess that's Indra Ove by the way Uh, she was in Resident Evil love her she had a she had a small role in that movie he bites her neck and blood just starts dripping down the front of her shirt. And she's into it. Like, she doesn't see the blood yet. She's, like, writhing and, like, moaning and, like, getting off. And then looks down and sees the blood and freaks out. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, girl, how did you not know that was happening? <laughs> there must be some kind of, like, mystical property, right? Like, how would they not notice this? I think that they must be, like, entrancing them as it's happening, and then yeah. I think that they, especially the Lestat character in this movie, I think he really gets off on having the glamour up and then letting it drop and having them realize that Freak something out. horrible is <laughs> happening to them. Yeah, that they're about to die, basically. Yeah. Yeah. An interesting thing that is kind of like toyed with in the movies, but never made like quite as explicit as it probably would have been in Anne Rice's book is how like queer and homoerotic <laughs> the relationship is between Lestat and Louis. And I kind of feel like that would have made it a little bit sexier. <laughs> but they kind of shy yeah. away from it. Yeah, I it's early 90s. I don't know if they would have leaned into that. Would they have? I'm trying to think of other examples from that time period. I don't think they would have because uh, going back yeah. to the Anne Rice casting controversy, she had considered... Uh, working with the screenwriter to rewrite the character of Louis to be a woman so that the mm. re- the relationship aspect would have been more obvious. And they were going to cast Cher in the role of Louis. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Cher as a vampire. Is Cher good? I mean, she was in Moonstruck. Didn't she get a – she got an Oscar nom. She nom-ed. did. I think she right. won an award for yeah. it. Yeah. I think that – Did she? Okay. I – I have to be honest, I've never seen a yeah. movie starring Cher, so it 
Mm-mm. to me 30 years later seems like a wild casting choice but at the time it probably yeah. made a lot of sense right right it's so funny what a difference 30 years can make <laughs> right right Claudia oh poor, <laughs> poor Claudia, Claudia. <laughs> stuck in that child body for 30 Horrible. years so you don't find vampires sexy but I feel like if you had to be a mythical monster wouldn't you want to be a vampire I feel like it's the best option Mythical monster. That's such a good question. Ugh. I mean, I want to say unicorn, but unicorns aren't monsters, so I can't pick unicorn. I guess something like human-esque, right? Because vampires okay. vampires are human-esque. They can still move within society. So I can't pick I can't pick dragon. <laughs> well, I can let you pick dragon. I feel like my my own bias is like, well, obviously I'd be a vampire. <laughs> Like, I'm not going to be a werewolf. Who's going to pick werewolf? <laughs> I I know. I was thinking that right now. Like, do I want to be a werewolf? And I'm like, no, you can't even control it. That sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I would have a hard time not being able to see daylight again, I think. That would be hard. And yeah. I don't know, man. Sometimes life is just too much. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want it for eternity. You, you don't want an endless supply of a thing that's a little bit hard <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. But if I had to pick, honestly, I'd probably pick the invisible man oh, so that okay. I could hide. Yeah. <laughs> I could hide from people. That's a good one. Yeah, I'd pick vampire. And I guess I would just go yeah. on the sun if I was like, all right, I'm done with this. That's fine. Although we do know that's true. in other movies, the sun thing isn't quite as big a deal as it is in this one. This one's that's a true. really big deal. Yeah, it's it's the vampire killer of all killers. One of the things I love about this movie, which I've seen this movie a number of times. I, I could not recall if watching it with you was my fourth or fifth time watching it. But when you get to those kind of numbers, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. But the thing I love is how campy this movie is. It's it's like really riding that line between taking itself too seriously and just being so cheesy and so high camp in some of these scenes. Yeah, I want to hear your thoughts on this because I have a hard time parsing between the two. Like to me this movie, to me this movie feels like it is serious, like a drama. Um, so I think I was like, maybe some of the camp was sort of flying over my head, but there's a few lines I know, um, like with Claudia where he's, he tells her, you've been a very naughty girl. And like when she's misbehaving and he's kind of like just hands on his hips, shaking his finger at her, that stuff's kind of funny. But, um, yeah. What, what did you find campy about the movie? Totally love the situational humor of the of the Louis Lestat as grumpy old married husbands with their naughty little murderous daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that they love to dress her up like a doll and buy her <laughs> and buy her toys. Right. It's just like really leaning into this kind of fl- flamboyance of these vampires. I think that's great. They are so flamboyant. They are, especially Lestat. And I don't know if Tom Cruise made it an intentional choice or what, but I'm like, yeah, you're a diva. Like Lestat is a total diva. He like is <laughs> he so is. disgusted when Louis chooses to eat rats. He's like, just eat a person. What are you doing? 
this is what you wanted. Yes. Like I, I just love how he plays the character. And I think that it, it feels like camp because it's like, it feels like it's being played straight, but it's so funny when, mm-hmm. <laughs> when Lestat changes Louis, um, he tells him, um, now look with your vampire eyes. And that scene is so, it's such a serious scene, but I'm like, what are you saying? These lines are ridiculous. It's just a level of like ridiculousness in some of the dialogue and the stunts that you see. All of the wire work is ridiculous. There's like, it's like, there's, this is not realistic. It's vampires. So how realistic is it going to be? Yeah. But it's very floaty. It's yeah. very floaty. It's very theatrical. There's a lot of very like theatrical elements to it that I think take me out of how serious it's supposed to be. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. And you're a writer. So, of course, you would pick up on those really subtle like writing things. I think it's really funny how much uh, Louis wants a teacher like he keeps saying he wants somebody to teach him Mm -hmm. and Lestat sucks at that (laughs) Lestat is just like whatever man go with it party all all uh century or whatever he has no help at all I had really thought that Lestat was a much older vampire than Louis so I thought that he was being a jerk about that whole thing and then I think you find out or I looked it up that Louis was only turned like 10 or maybe 20 years before Louis was turned. So he's not, it's not like an Armand situation where he's been around for hundreds of years and knows all the ropes. Yeah. 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 But he's also a dick about it. He's such a jerk. <laughs> he came from Paris, right? I think so. He was saying that he was from Paris. I was wondering what his story was and like who turned him there and and why did he leave Paris? And I I wish we knew some of that stuff. Maybe they kicked him out because he was a jerk. I don't know. Well, this movie uh, was very ambitiously uh, titled Interview with the Vampire, colon, The Vampire Chronicles. (laughs) Because I think that they were planning on making a sequel, which the sequel sequel is The Vampire Mm -hmm. Lestat in the book series, which is a prequel about his history. And then there's The Queen of the Damned, which they did actually make a movie out of with Stuart Townsend and Aaliyah, which um, I have not watched in probably 15 plus years. But I remember being... I remember it coming out and just... And and it was right around her death when it came out. Yeah. It was so weird. It was. But I didn't, I yeah, didn't watch it, it was. because, like I said, <laughs> I didn't really watch Dracula movies, vampire movies. My one complaint with the campiness is... I felt like for such a long movie that this is that they really noodled on some slow scenes and then hand waved over scenes that I think would have been Mm. very fun to watch these vampires participate in. This movie takes place over the course of 200 years from 1791 Mm -hmm. to 1994. And we get some historical events that play out against the plot, but for one of the scenes, a pretty major scene where Louis and Claudia following the death of Lestat are traveling around the world to try and find other vampires to learn about vampire heritage. They just show us these like montages of charcoal drawings of like 
Are these the drawings that Claudia did? <laughs> and the Tower of Pisa. Because they do show her doing I some drawing so. at some point. <laughs> that would be cool, actually, about being a vampire. Like, oh, you can get really good at a certain skill. I could uh, see it. Because you have your whole forever to work on it. <laughs> yeah. No, that would be great. I would have loved to have seen Claudia, who they love dressing up in period-specific regional clothes. Like, I want to see, like... Louis saying, oh, we're in Egypt, so I need to buy you some golden sandals and like dress you up and take you out. (laughs) I know. Take like one of those old timey photos next to a mummy. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my gosh. I know. I'm like, just give me the montage of my dreams, which is these guys like (laughs) around the world in 80 days in like fun fun period specific costumes. Yes. I think that would have made it more campy, which I think, is that what you want? It's what I wanted. Yeah. I want this movie to lean into it more. I wanted this movie to be like, where was Louis when the stock market crashed? And, um, (laughs) and you know, what was, what did Lestat think of the Spanish civil war? Like who knows, right? Like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's so, there's so much that they could have given us. And I think that like, I'm such a nerd for that kind of like historical, alternate history stuff that I would have loved to see it but they do give us some stuff though like there's some plague they stuff. do they do there's some plague stuff there's some slavery stuff Louis frees his slaves <laughs> because they're afraid of him but the really cool event that happens in this movie that they they really gloss over it they they don't spend any time on it but the 1914 plague outbreak of New Orleans which was a real thing in New Orleans the town is like a mess right in this scene and and it's I think it's when they're escaping isn't it mm-hmm. and people are the guys what are they the they're like the cor- they have the corpse cart <laughs> like they're yes. pedaling the corpse cart and they're like get go back the plague is that way <laughs> which is funny since the uh since the vampires don't get affected by the plague anyway. I had to do a little mini dive on the plague because I was so intrigued by... I I love it when movies show something that really happened Mm -hmm. and it did really happen because it's always like an avenue for me to go read about it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have. But the plague in 1914 was pretty amazing. So this plague in the early... 1900s. This takes place in Louisiana, so I'm assuming this is a an early 1900s Louisiana plague. Uh, yeah. When was it? And like, what was what was the like specific plague that it was? Yeah, it was the bubonic plague. Bubonic plague. Uh, okay. Yeah, and it it actually came over it uh, via Brazil first in 1899. That was the first outbreak of it in the Western Hemisphere. It was in Brazil. And it jumped up to San Francisco in the 19, in not the 1900s, but 1900. And when that happened, New Orleans was prepared. Like they, they saw that happening in other parts of the country and they were like, oh shit, we're New Orleans. We got to deal with rats. <laughs> we got to <laughs> take care of these rats. So <laughs> it, it jumped from San Francisco to Puerto Rico and Cuba. It, it, I'm not sure how it made the connection, but uh, timeline-wise, that's that's how it went. So in 1912, New Orleans took care of business, and they went on a rat 
murder spree. (laughs) (laughs) There was like a special task force that went around killing rats. They they discovered patient zero and everything in the hospital where patient zero was was burned. They took all the belongings. (laughs) Yeah. All the all the things from the hospital and just burned them. And then this rat crusade, they were killing rats, but more importantly, they were testing rats to see if they were infected. And anywhere you found an infected rat, they would basically just level that portion of New Orleans. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Like, that takes care of that. (laughs) I feel like this movie has a really strong anti-rat agenda. (laughs) (laughs) This movie, yeah, this, like, this this outbreak, right? Like, the rats are are famous for, for plagues, so... But what was good about it, what what came out of it was New Orleans, uh, I don't know, created some codes for their buildings uh, that would prevent rats from infesting down the road. So like had I think it had to be on cement. Um, There are certain distances above the ground. The floor had to be built at Um, you had if you had the floor of your house against the ground or i think you had to have like a mesh like wire mesh to prevent uh, rats from gnawing through so they did a lot they took it really really serious i feel like that's more serious than we've been taking like our modern day plague (laughs) in some ways (laughs) oh totally yeah so okay i did some numbers um i wanted you know it was this this fact jumped out at me and i just couldn't believe it um there were only 31 cases in this outbreak in 1914. Wow. And yeah, and only 10 deaths total. Uh, yeah, that's uh, much lower than you would expect. Uh, <laughs> totally. That rate seems a little high. <laughs> yes, the death rate was 30% in New Orleans, but the infection rate was basically zero. It's like, oh, nobody got infected. <laughs> it was like 0.01%. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, and those guys who died, they were definitely eating rats. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So they kept the cases super low, I think, because the death rate is so high, right? 30% Mm -hmm. is a lot. Actually, I was looking up the San Francisco numbers, too, since it broke out in 1900 there. San Francisco's infection rate was actually three times higher, um, which makes sense. It came first, right? They're figuring stuff out. Also, I was reading there was a lot of corruption in San Francisco, like a lot of similar stuff to today where they were like, this isn't happening. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you talking about? San Francisco's <laughs> great. Like, you know, they want to cover it up. <laughs> so their infection rate was 0.03%. So still basically nothing but mm-hmm. three times higher. And their death rate was 98%. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so New Orleans did not go that route. They took care of it really well up front. And then, of course, I had to compare this to COVID. Of course. In, in both locations, of course. So so here's the reason why I think, along with many other reasons, but why COVID wasn't tackled the same way. The death rate in, in uh, New Orleans is 1.1%. That's that makes significantly sense. lower. Yeah. And San Francisco today, it's 0.6%, so about half half as high. So yeah, it makes sense why we wouldn't have tackled COVID the same way, but like wow, what a difference that made. I mean, and we're that was like rats. 
Huge they got rid of all difference. their rats. I know. Yeah. Yeah, I just imagine that their head of their task force was like Constable Kitty Cat. <laughs> it was just all cats. It was all cats, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I thought uh, I thought that was cool that the movie highlights that and it turns out it really happened and it's really interesting to read about. I highly recommend you guys check out these articles I found. Yeah, that is super cool. And the, the plot point in the movie, of course, where the plague comes in is – that's how we get introduced to the Claudia character, um, Kirsten yeah. Dunst. Ugh, poor Kirsten Dunst. Her mother's dead from the plague, and she's just hanging out with her dead, plaguey mother. It's a very sad scene, and I feel like there's more sad scenes in this movie than there are horror scenes in this movie. Totally. And this is one of them. I mean, L- Louis, up to this point, had tried to take this moral high ground that he wasn't going to kill humans. He was just going to eat rats, which, uh, which uh, sounds like that's a good idea for New Orleans. Yeah, it sounds like it's a good idea until this plague. Until they kill all out. the rats, yeah. And then he, he can't help himself when he sees Claudia. You know, he's like, "I'm just going to turn her," but he's a complete coward about it, and he doesn't fully kill her. He just leaves her, and Lestat is like. Well, this looks like it's your problem now because you have a what how old is she? Ten? Like a ten year old so vampire. Little. She's so young. And they now have to take care of this of this girl who's mentally going to keep aging in this girl's body. I like how they show what happens when you turn. You know, when when we meet her, she's a little scraggly looking. She looks a little sick, probably hungry, tired. Mm-hmm. Her hair is sort of like lifeless. But the second she turns, like you see her hair just like shrivel up into these really lovely tight curls. She has color. Well, you know, more color to her. She she looks healthy, but, you know, pale. She's a vampire, but uh, you get to see that little transformation. So it doesn't really freeze you in time, per se. It, It freezes you at an age, but it does seem like it reverts you to a healthy version of yourself. And there's some kind of charm about the whole thing because Claudia, as she mentally, although not physically ages, starts to realize what it means. And she tries chopping her hair off. She tries changing her appearance and it just immediately grows back. And so how you were in your turned state, that's it. There are no no changes to it for the rest Ugh. of time. And that's maybe the real horror of this movie. That is the horror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like what you imagine. You have to imagine through her eyes what's going to happen to her. And then you're like, okay, this is a horror movie now. <laughs> yes, it's, it's tragic. It's horrifying. It's horrifying to think of yourself as a 40-year-old woman in a 10-year-old child's body being cared for by two adult men who still only treat you as a 10-year-old girl. Oh, my God. And then she turns into a voyeur and is, like, checking out this hot lady and is like, I want to look like her. (laughs) Sorry, kid. You're a kid. It's so sad. Her yeah. whole her whole plot is just like completely heartbreaking. And it's a bummer. How, yeah. How good is young Kirsten Dunst in this role? She's incredible. So good. Yeah. 
I'm so glad she had such an, a good career. She didn't just fall by the wayside after this this sort of thing. You know, she kept going, but she was great. She was great as a child actress. Yeah, we mentioned that there's just a lot of, like, powerhouses from the 90s in this one. We've got Christian Slater as our interviewer, who's, like, not in it much. He's just kind of bookending the beginning and ending of the movie. With all the other names we noted, we forgot Thandie Newton, who makes a very brief appearance. She's so young. She's so cute. She's very young. Yeah, she plays um one of the – I'm assuming she was a prostitute, but she's one of the women that – Lestat seduces and feasts on. <laughs> oh, I figured salon. she was just a slave. Because this was still when they were on the plantation, right? That's sort of what I assumed. Oh, you are yeah. right. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, bummer. That would be the correct interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, but she's so young. She plays Yvette. And Brad Pitt is, is here. I think he was coming off of. Thelma and Louise and some other big movies. Oh my gosh, that's right. <laughs> and I think that this 90s period, especially with this movie, which is, you know, ostensibly a serious role for Brad Pitt, that he was kind of in his prime at this point. But I was really trying to think of Brad Pitt's career and where I think his best acting is or where for me he really hit his stride and I don't think it was the 90s for the most part (laughs) I don't either he he was like a Hollywood like bad boy like hunk hunky not quite typecast but he always kind of played the same type of role I feel like Mm -hmm. so I think I agree with you I I like where his career has taken him more than where he has come from he's great but I don't think all his roles have always been the most interesting. I agree. I think that his best acting or my favorite role of his is in Burn After Reading. So funny. I think that any role that he's in where it's more comedic rather than serious, oh, yes, he just shines. He does. I, I, that's where I think that he really comes comes through yes. for me. <laughs> You're right. You're totally right. Yeah. He makes a small appearance in 12 Years a Slave. and. He's this nice guy Canadian who helps, um, I forget the main character's name, um, but he helps him escape. Solomon, right? Yeah, thanks. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I think so. It's been a while. And that's to me, kind of summarized like what Brad Pitt does. Like Brad Pitt is a good guy. Brad's a nice guy. He he has a ethically he mirrors a lot of my own opinions and I think he likes that to come through in the roles he chooses Mm -hmm. so I think you're right I think it's way more interesting to see him be this doofy idiot in burn after reading (laughs) (laughs) than playing Brad Pitt yeah definitely I I agree and I think that this movie and and other movies where he's playing more serious roles I mean, because the Louis character is just such a sad sack. He's very melancholic at the beginning because his wife has died. But also he owns a slave plantation. (laughs) Yeah. He's 24 and he's a plantation owner. Can you imagine? I cannot. (laughs) I'm almost 40 and I can't get out of this damn apartment. (laughs) Well, you weren't a white man in the 1700s. Yeah, true. I wasn't. (laughs) I think people just got things then. (laughs) 
Well, some people did. Some people did. <laughs> White guys. <laughs> He's just generally moping in this movie. Yeah. Is there ever a moment where he has true joy in this movie? No. I don't joy? Think so. No. <laughs> At the end, he gets mad. <laughs> and yeah. That's like the biggest shift we see. Yes. I mean, after after Claudia dies, which again, tragic. Claudia's Very whole sad. story, just top to bottom, full of tragedy. Sucks. He then is like, all right, I guess I'm going to just roam the modern century <laughs> and just, I'm going to watch some movies. <laughs> And that's pretty much I it. think it's funny how Antonio Banderas was like, yeah, this is going to... Sorry, I keep using the actor names because I'm <laughs> terrible at the character names, but Armand, right? That's his name. Yep. He is like planning on adding Louis as a friend and Louis just kind of like, nah, you killed my family. Like, we're done. I'm leaving. And it's like all over. And then now Armand is by himself again, right? Because yes. everybody is dead. <laughs> Yes, because of Louis. Yes, this plot yeah. point I find actually really interesting and we love to get into. So we have just Louis and Claudia have landed upon these Parisian vampires and there are a ton of them, right? There's at least a dozen plus vampires. They they sleep in these shared sleeping quarters. They're very close. Armand is hundreds of years old and very obviously this clan leader and he is really stuck on trying to get Louis to join in. Not quite as stuck on Claudia because they can mind read and they're like, Claudia is willing to murder one of our own. Yes. <laughs> so maybe not her. <laughs> Which totally sucks because she's just a kid. It's not her fault. <laughs> she is. She is. But they're so kind of self-protective that yeah. it's it's pretty much lights on I was gonna say lights out but lights on for Claudia and and her caretaker because the Parisian (laughs) vampires devise this punishment for Claudia and her vampire companion which is throwing them into this pit that's just going to get full sunlight exposure in the daytime when I was watching this they were wearing these gigantic floofy dresses and I was like just get under your dresses and I was wondering if that would have worked. You know, I, I, you see everything is charred when you come back. So mm-hmm. I was thinking, okay, maybe the dresses wouldn't have helped. But then I was wondering, maybe the dresses just caught on fire because they caught on fire. And it really drives me crazy that we can't see them crawl under their dresses and see what that does. <laughs> I know. And we'll never know. But it's... We'll never know. <laughs> you see it and you're like try something (laughs) because right now you're just dying (laughs) you're not fighting at all yeah yeah and that woman she had just been turned she's like yeah I'll take care of Claudia and then it's like well here's what that entails you burn to death (laughs) yeah at least she didn't have to deal with like a lifetime of existential dread as a vampire she she got the like fun first day and then the like super brutal second murder day (laughs) But Louis goes nuts. He realizes that Claudia has been murdered and he's like, oh, that's what we're doing? Great. I'm going to kill this entire coven. And so while they're sleeping, he comes through and murders them. 
Because they didn't just kill her. They kidnapped him and trapped him behind a brick wall, like in a coffin. They were just like, yep, you're going to stay here forever now. Oh, my God, Kate. That's my nightmare. That's probably everybody's nightmare. That's everyone's nightmare. I feel like that's a very, like, if so, if you were like, would this be your nightmare? Everyone would be like, yeah, that, that's totally a yep. nightmare. <laughs> very stressful, but I was glad he got out of that quickly. He got out of it. He kills them. And Armand still wants him to be yeah. part of his group, even though there's no group anymore. It's <laughs> only Armand. And that's what, I've seen this movie so many times, and I, Maybe it's something that doesn't translate well from the book or what, like maybe there's like some more sexual tension between Armand and Louis in the book that we're not really getting here, but I just don't understand why Louis is so enticing to Armand because when I look at Louis's character, I'm like, this is a guy who knows melancholy and anger and that's it. Yeah. (laughs) And they just met like, why is he intrigued by louis so much is it just because he's from the new world maybe but why wouldn't armand just follow to the new world and make some more vampires a new one yeah Yeah, and make some interesting (laughs) ones like this is a guy who likes to put on theater shows with all his vampire buddies louis is not going to be about that life Yeah, Louis isn't going to be in your play where you murder people on stage. No. You see in this guy, Armand. Absolutely not. Yeah. So that's something I just don't really understand about the Armand character. And I think that whenever watching this movie, once it gets to the introduction of Armand and and the scenes with him, I'm just, I get really stuck on Mm -hmm. the motivation of Armand. I just need to go and read the book and then maybe I'll feel better about it, but... I don't know. I think so too. That whole interlude is to me is kind of jarring from the rest of the plot. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, what do you care where you come from? Just like figure out where to go now. I don't know. I just hate it. <laughs> I think that there's a lot of internal motivation that we're not getting through the characters yes. in the way it's written in this movie. I imagine that there's a lot more and I'm giving a ton of credit to Anne Rice right now because I haven't read this particular book but I have read other Anne Rice books and there's a lot of internal Mm -hmm. (laughs) internalization happening uh, with the characters and so I'm like okay I can imagine how this would have played out and where we would have gotten more info but Mm -hmm. seeing it on screen I'm just like oh it feels a little flat because you don't know why they're doing this Mm -hmm. yeah I agree I have a question about a specific plot point, and that is how the heck does Tom Cruise survive? How does Lestat survive? He's set on fire. I don't know. I I don't know how he survives being set on fire. I do think that it's ironic that he has sustained himself by eating rats. Yes, <laughs> that is <laughs> how great. How delicious is that irony? he survives but uh louis kills the other vampires with fire Mm -hmm. so which is it i i that part kind of confused me and i hope it makes sense in the book i'm sure it does i'm wondering what the book actually said uh yeah i really don't know i think that 
it's yeah it's just kind of hand waved over why it affects mm-hmm. these other vampires but not Lestat Lestat seems to be pretty crafty when it comes to survival though because mm-hmm. he's also survived being uh <laughs> poisoned essentially by Claudia yes and th- and dragged into the swamps by Louis and Claudia <laughs> and he comes yeah. back from that so I mean <laughs> which I think is the best makeup in the whole movie I love creepy Tom Cruise he looks great yes I agree I think that I think that that part's really good and I think that that's another good horror part to this movie yeah yeah uh I I love a good makeup effect yes me too one of the things that I've loved that we did during this season was keep a running tally of just things vampires do in these movies or traits that they happen to have and I think that for this one you made a really good list (laughs) this season is Megan learns about vampires so (laughs) I as I was watching this movie I was like oh I should write down the things that vampires are because there were a handful of things that I had either like forgotten about or didn't realize existed in like the vampire space as a thing I think uh we we have covered some of them some of the more obvious traits but one that I didn't realize that this movie posits was um that vampires can live off of other blood they don't have to kill uh people which I didn't had never considered as an option for a vampire. Oh my gosh. I love that you are kind of a noob to <laughs> vampire stuff. I am. Oh my gosh. Um, you haven't seen the show True Blood, which I haven't. Um, the whole premise of True Blood is that a Japanese company effectively creates synthetic human blood. And once they mm. do that, they sell it as this drink, True Blood. And that makes oh. vampires that makes vampires able to live amongst humans because now they can drink the synthetic blood. So true blood is about a drink. <laughs> I think that I think the name of the drink is called True Blood. It's been I, I watched it in high school, so it's been a while. Um, oh, wow. But yeah, there's a lot of um, in my experience watching vampire media. That's actually a kind of a crucial point is vampires making a choice on whether to be the monsters that they were created to be and drinking human blood because that's like their bloodlust, right? Their bloodlust is for human blood or they can make the moral choice and drink animal blood. That comes up in a bunch of other movies. Uh, We mentioned Twilight. That actually is a really big plot point in Twilight. (laughs) Is it really? Yes. I've only seen the third Twilight, and <laughs> what a that's way to watch! <laughs> all I I know, <laughs> niece, my niece. I'll blame it on her. Yeah, so I I don't, and I also don't think I was really paying attention. <laughs> so yeah, that was a new one for me. Yeah, I love that. I think that we mentioned um, some of the stuff that you would expect with a vampire. Um, they live forever. Can't go out in the daylight. They're drink drinking blood, of course. I think that. Something that I was surprised by was their positing that stakes and crucifixes don't do anything. Yes. Weird. I I think movies like to do this to like to do a gotcha at mm-hmm. the audience. Like you may have heard this, but 
that doesn't exist, right? Like, I, I kind of like that it removes the religious element from it. This is just monsters. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true because there are other things that we've watched that are hyper-religious and, like, that's the basis of it. Whereas this one, right. it's just there's no origin. There's no explanation. You know, there's just – this is just, like, a natural phenomenon. So man-made things like crucifixes would have – would, of course, have nothing to do with them. Right. Another trait in this movie that I wasn't really all that familiar with but actually ended up being a really big plot point was that some vampires can read thoughts. Mm-hmm. I I hadn't really thought of that as a vampire capability, but it ends up causing real problems in the story for Claudia and for Louis, actually. But Louis doesn't seem... He's not able to read thoughts at first, right? Mm-hmm. He kind of grows into it. And um, that I thought was interesting, too. I think so, too. I, I like to see how different stories portray the traits of vampires because I've seen some other vampire things where um, not all vampires can read thoughts. Only some of them can or none of them can or it's not reading a thought as much as it is being able to influence the emotions of a person and so this one is pretty clear that older or more mature a vampire gets the more that they're able to read a person's thoughts um and i like that they can read other vampires thoughts because Mm -hmm. that's a thing that you sometimes don't see in these movies is that they can read humans thoughts but they can't read other vampires thoughts So this one is just kind of more just a broad skill that they accrue over time. Do we ever see Claudia get it? I don't think so. I don't think so. I I don't think that that's a focus of her character. Do we see her glamour anybody? I just assume that any time they are suckling that the person is being glamorized. (laughs) If I'm saying that right. (laughs) Okay, I can see that. So I assume so, but I... I don't think it's very obvious. I don't think they okay. make a point of drawing attention to it. Okay. Another one was the no dead blood. Like that becomes a poison. And that I think it was a nice trait because it makes you realize why they don't finish the bodies. Mm-hmm. They just drink until they're dead and then they have to stop. I Which like is this such one a waste. Too. I like this one too because it, shows why they have to hunt things whether it's a human or an animal because they have to eat living things they have to drink the blood of living things they can't just hang out by the cemetery or by the morgue and drink this old blood and live a moral coagulated clean life you know or you know outside of the slaughterhouse slurping up the cow blood (laughs) they they have to have living blood and I think that that's a really good call out in this one and I thought that, mm-hmm. that was new to me too so I thought that was good it makes total sense because if they could just have old blood or whatever then why can't they just eat a steak and call it a day right or like lick a steak <laughs> it's part of the curse right it's like the yeah. curse and the benefit is you you have to be a hunter but you get all this but not every vampire movie really goes into that so I appreciated that in this one yeah me too so this was the first time you watched this movie. Would you recommend it? 
Oh yeah, I think I think it's one of those movies like that's on a list somewhere of movies you should watch. I think mm-hmm. it's a great 90s vampire movie. Yeah, I think it's pretty classic. I definitely think you should see it if you haven't seen it before. I agree. I think that you should watch it. I think if you're trying to build your experience with vampire movies, I don't think you should skip this one. I think it should definitely be in there because it's just part of the contemporary vampire canon of media. Like I feel like anything that came out after Interview probably was influenced in some small way by Interview. I think if you've already seen it, you could probably take it or leave it because it doesn't cleanly fit into the horror genre, at least in my opinion. I think that it's described as a horror movie, but I'm a little conflicted about where it should actually sit. I can see if you're afraid of blood. Like some people really don't like seeing blood being drawn or dripping blood. You may not you may get the willies or you just may not want to watch this because there's, of course, a lot of that fresh blood dripping all over the place. But I honestly don't think of this as a horror. I think of it as a drama, which I'm not sure if it's ever described as a drama. It's usually described as a romance, right? Yes. On Google, it's described as a horror romance. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) On Wikipedia, it's a gothic horror which I do think that gothic horror movies tend to be more atmospheric than suspense-driven. Yeah, true. And so I could see that, but I just don't think that there's enough suspense or like outright scary moments to justify it being like in the horror genre. Your point about people with blood is totally fair. I see it and I'm like, sure. <laughs> There's a bunch of big blood in this movie, <laughs> but yeah, I could I could definitely see that. Um, but yeah, I think it's a drama. I think it's a drama because the the plot of the movie is mostly driven about the personal drama between Lestat and Louis. It's it's really a story of their relationship to me. Definitely, yeah. The like I think we mentioned earlier, like I think the biggest element of horror is the horror of being trapped inside your own body. Being trapped in general is just a horrific idea. So it fits. It does fit. Um, it just doesn't come through a strong compass. Oh, my gosh. It's horrible. I think that any any kind of stasis that you just can never get out of is is pretty horrifying. And so it's pretty I think terrifying. That, yeah, we get that. You get that from an existential perspective watching this, but not uh, from necessarily anything that the movie is doing to you. But it's a good movie. I think so, too. I'm glad that I got to dive in. I'm glad I've seen it a handful of times now. And I hope our audience enjoys it as well. Yeah, check it out. And uh, thanks for tuning in to the first episode of our vampire season. We have a lot of really fun, great movies coming up. There's going to be a new episode week over week. So we'll see you next time. This was not quite dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Not Quite Dead Podcast and on Twitter at NQD underscore podcast. Follow our blog for bonus content at notquitedeadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and happy watching. Mm-hmm.